All righty, we'll go ahead and get into our lesson this evening. Uh, and then after the lesson, we'll close in a season of prayer. And of course, as I always say, uh, if you think of a request that you'd forgotten about, we'll give you a second to share that uh, after the lesson. So just jot it down to remind yourself, and then after the lesson, we'll take just a, just a brief moment if anyone has something that they've forgotten about uh, to share that before we close. So we looking at developing your personal Bible study. And, of course, we looked at several different things, and then we ended up here on figures of speech, and we've been here on figures of speech for a few weeks, and uh, I, I'm uh, enjoying it, but I'm wanting to move on at the same time because there's a lot of other areas I wanted to look at on developing your personal Bible study. And for real, we could spend from now on, on figures of speech. The more I look at them, the more I look into them. I'm like, we could teach on this forever. If you remember the books I showed you uh, when we first started this, um, uh, Mr. E.W. Bullinger uh, has identified over 200 figures of speech in the Word of God. And so the book that uh, I've kind of followed as a roadmap was the one by John Phillips where he identified 15 figures of speech. I have another book uh, by Roy Zuck. He identified 19 figures of speech. And so uh, we could go on. The ones that Mr. Zuck identified are different from the ones that Mr. Phillips identified. All kind of things. We could go on forever looking at these figures of speech in the Word of God. Uh, the ones that we're going to look at tonight, and I'm going to try tonight, Lord being my helper, I am going to try to finish it up. So we're going to try to go all all the way through the end, we'll just move through them quickly and uh, finish up the rest of these figures of speech that we were looking at. But I could honestly, just because when I look at these, when I study them, I go into the Bible and I look for examples. And so the book that I'm following gives a couple examples, and then I'll start looking for more examples of this. And as I find the examples, I'm like, well, there's a sermon. Well, there's a sermon. There's a sermon. I mean, we could just, we could preach forever uh, on this subject, uh, but uh, maybe we'll uh, come, come back and revisit this from time to time. And of course, understanding this helps now whenever we are preaching and I come across one of these and I can say this is and I can tell you the figure of speech it is and you will recognize it and help to connect with that passage of scripture. And so we're going to try uh, to move through these quickly this evening. The text verse that we have for this study is 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The most important thing that any Christian can do is get into the word of God. Read the Bible, study the Bible, it, it just uh, saturate yourself with the word of God. It's the best thing that any Christian can do. So let's pray and we'll get into the lesson tonight. Father, we thank you for this day. I do thank you, Lord, for each person that is here tonight. I thank you, dear Lord, for their faithfulness. I thank you, dear Lord, that they are faithful to come out and be a part of the service. And, Father, I thank you for each one of them, Lord. It's an encouragement to see them here and in their place and ready to serve you. Father, as we look tonight as at these figures of speech in your word, uh, uh, Lord, trying to better understand your word, Lord, so that when we read it, it's not confusing to us, but Father, Lord, uh, it makes sense. And Father, when it makes sense, we can apply it. And so, Father, as we look into your word tonight, I pray, dear Lord, that the things we look at, that, uh, Lord, they'll be understandable. I pray that they'll be clear. And uh, Father, Lord, that you'll just help and be with us. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with the children's ministries downstairs. I pray that you'll be with uh, those that are teaching. I pray, dear Lord, 
Lord, that you be with those preparing the meals, Lord, the, the game time, Lord, everything that they do. Father, I pray that you'll be with them. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I will let you know that... Um, while the weather's pretty, they normally take the kids outside for their games, and so we haven't heard them up here for a while. But Ben's, it was raining tonight. They may be playing inside, and uh, because we were expecting them to go outside, we didn't put the school away because if they play their games directly under us here, it's a lot better insulated. We don't hear them. If they play their games in the teen room, you hear them a whole lot better. So if you hear the teens tonight, just understand that they got rained out. All right? So that'll take care of that. But uh, Pastor Ken said if it quit raining, he was going to take them out anyway. So <laughs> anyway, the, uh, looking here at these figures of speech, we're going to try to complete this uh, tonight, and so we'll try to move along as quickly as we can and still gain something from them. The first one we want to consider is number nine uh, on your list, and that is hyperbole, uh, hyperbole. The definition of this figure of speech uh, is a deliberate exaggeration. This is when you exaggerate something on purpose, to say more than is literally meant uh, in order to add emphasis. Now, this is a figure of speech that we wear out. We use this one a lot. Uh, uh, some common examples are if you know that you're going to have a big meal, say Thanksgiving, you know, and you know there's going to be that big meal uh, in the afternoon, and so you're like, you know what, I'm going to skip breakfast, I'm going to skip lunch, I'm going to wait on that big meal, and you come in and mama's in there cooking, and you say, when's it's going to be ready. I could eat a horse. Now, we know you would really stop eating long before you consumed that whole horse, but you exaggerate to drive home to mama just how much you're anticipating that food that she's cooking. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Or uh, we, if we've been on our feet all day, if you've been on your feet working or maybe shopping or, you know, they say shop till you drop, you know, and you finally get home and prop your feet up uh, and you say, my feet uh, are killing me. Now, we all know you're not going to die from the pain that you're experiencing in your feet, but the exaggeration drives home just how intense this pain is. And we could go on with many examples. We use this uh, figure of speech a lot. I have two Bible examples uh, that we can look at there. Uh, the one is Exodus 8 and verse number 17. Exodus 8, verse number 17. This is speaking of the plagues uh, uh, on Egypt uh, that God was bringing on Pharaoh because he was not letting the children of Israel go. It says, And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, when we read this verse, we understand that this verse uh, is using hyperbole to draw attention to the severity of the plague. It's using this to draw attention. We know that every atom of dust was not converted to light uh, uh, because of the earthen constitution of our land. It would be impossible to convert every atom of dust into lice or else there would be no land left. And so we know that it wasn't every atom of dust that was converted. However, this figure of speech conveys that the lice were so thick throughout the land it was as if every particle of dust had become lice. And I was thinking about that. I thought, boy, you know how easily things can get dusty. 
And boy, you think your house is just spotless clean and then you can take a white cloth and there's more dust and more dust. And it just seems that everything gets dusty so easily. And if you fail to dust uh, for a couple of weeks, I mean, it piles on thick really quick. And so we think here about this, and this is a desert area, so there would have been an extra amount of dust. So everywhere that there would have been dust, there is now life. Everywhere that you would have found dust, every nook, every cranny, on top, underneath, everywhere that you could imagine, there was lice. And by saying this, this way it drives home the extremity of this plague. The second passage we have for consideration is Deuteronomy 1 in verse number 28. Now the, the context here is the people have gone in and they have looked uh, at the land to see if they can overtake it and they bring back the report uh, and they say, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. Now catch this next line. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Now the walls of the city were not literally reaching the heavens. But through the use of hyperbole, they were emphasizing the strength and security of these cities that they observed. They're like, these cities uh, are great. They're walled up. The walls go all the way to the heavens. There's no way we can scale them, no way we can get over them. No, they didn't literally go that high. But by putting the exaggeration on there, it drove the truth home. There's many more examples of this throughout the Scripture. In Psalm 6 and verse number 6, David said that he made his bed to swim with tears. Now, he didn't literally cry that many tears, but he was letting us know how brokenhearted he was with this statement. In Matthew 23, verse number 24, Jesus said that the Pharisees could swallow a camel. Now, they can't literally swallow a camel, but the way they were acting, you know, you would have thought they could have. Uh, they could swallow a camel. In Luke 15, 32, the father said of the prodigal son that he had been dead, but now he was alive, not literally but we can see the truth that's driving home. Many more examples of this figure of speech is found all throughout Scripture. Now, to point this out, whenever you look at hyperboles, sometimes folks will say, well, these are errors in Scripture because it says the wall was all the way to heaven, and it wasn't. It said the sun was dead, and he wasn't. It said that the Pharisees swallowed a camel, and they didn't. These are errors, but they're not errors. They are easily recognized figures of speech that when used correctly add emphasis and impact to the passage. And we readily recognize them for what they are. You see, here is the thing that, that I've been trying to, to do with this study and why I think it's important to the Word of God is I'll tell Brother Harry that I'm hungry as a horse and he knows what that means. It don't mean that I'm going to eat the horse but it means how hungry I am. And we readily recognize that in our daily conversation, but then when we start reading the Bible, if we're not careful, we'll be like, oh, oh, what's this? What's this mean? No, it's common language. It's common language. And by recognizing that common language is in the Word of God, it clarifies stuff that people have taken 
and twisted and tried to make nonsense out of the Bible. And so the second figure of speech, trying to move quickly tonight, the second figure of speech, I imagine the guys up top are taking bets on whether or not I'll finish this list. Y'all gambling's wrong. Y'all shouldn't be doing that up there. Uh, I hear rumor that they bet on how far long I'm going to preach up there. So anyway, the second figure of speech that we have here is metonymy, metonymy. The definition of metonymy is to substitute a related thing for the thing itself. Uh, some common examples would be if we referred to the king or the kingdom as the crown. Well, now the crown is just a symbol of the king or the kingdom. It's not the entire kingdom, but we will, we will substitute the word crown. Uh, to refer as, a, as your automobile as a ride. Tell, tell Brother Lewis, I got myself a new ride. Well, does that mean that somebody picked me up? No, he understands. That means I bought a new car. But we, we substitute a different word for uh, what is being said. Examples of metonymy are found all throughout Scripture. The word tongue is often used in place of the words that we speak. The word land is often used to refer to the people that inhabit the area. The word eye is used to describe how things are understood. The word house is often used to refer to those who are living inside the house. And we could go on and on and on. This is an extremely common figure of speech. The two examples that we have in your worksheet are Psalm 51 and verse number 7 is the first one. And here David, he's praying, and he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now David is praying to God. He is asking for a spiritual inner cleansing. He wants God to clean him on the inside, his thoughts, his heart, his, his inner self. And David's saying, Lord, cleanse me, purify me, help me. But he says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was uh, something that was used to clean the outward body. It's not something you use to clean the inward body, but it was a very effective cleanser for the outside of the body. Here David is using metonymy to say, Lord, clean me on the inside as effectively as hyssop would clean me on the outside. We see that David was, was saying, Lord, I want to be as clean on the inside as I can possibly be. Another Bible example is in Genesis chapter number 25 and verse number 23. It says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Of course, this is speaking of Rebekah. And Rebekah had two twins in her womb, infants. And the Lord referred to these two boys as nations. Now, there weren't entire nations in her womb, but by using metonymy, the Lord was able to speak prophetically to Rebecca concerning the future of the children that she was about to bear. Moving on, the third figure of speech we will consider is synecdoche. Synecdoche. I had to pause and look at my pronunciation. Synecdoche is the next one that we'll look at here, number 11 on your worksheet. The definition is to exchange the literal idea for an associated idea, uh, to substitute the part for the whole or the whole for the part. 
Uh, some common examples of this would be uh, if we were to say that someone was giving their hand in marriage. Now we know that whenever we go to a wedding that we're going to be giving a lot more than just our hand. But we will often give that term, use that term that we're giving our hand in marriage. A part is representing the whole. And we find this all throughout the Word of God. We'll look at a couple of examples. Uh, another thing is, uh, we'll say we have hungry mouths to feed. Yeah, they're, they're hungry mouths, but the mouth is a part that's representing the whole. If that mouth is attached uh, uh, to Avy Gravy over here, well, it doesn't eat too much. But if that mouth is attached to about a 14 or 15-year-old boy, that's a lot of feeding you got to do right there. They just got to keep shoveling. So it, the part represents the whole. Uh, we see this illustrated in some Bible examples in Genesis 42 and verse number 38. Um, Jacob here is talking about uh, Joseph. And uh, he's talking about Benjamin, excuse me. His sons had been to see Joseph. They had come back and said, we cannot go back unless we take Benjamin with us. And... Um, Jacob says, My son, speaking of Benjamin, shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, speaking of Joseph, who Jacob uh, wrongly thought had passed, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Jacob said they would bring his gray hair to the grave. But what Jacob was talking about, he said, Son, if anything happens to Benjamin, you will kill your father. Jacob was talking about his entire being, his state of being at this point in life. And he said, you will kill your father. But he used the figure of speech in saying, you'll bring my gray hairs down to the grave. And by using the figure of speech, he added much more emphasis to the statement that he made to his son. The fourth figure that we want to consider is that of ellipsis. Ellipsis. Now, ellipsis is very interesting. Uh, when I got the book by E.W. Bullinger, I just sat down on the couch and cracked the front page open and just started reading. And the whole entire first chapter was about ellipsis. That was the whole first chapter of this book about ellipsis and how it's used in the Word of God. And I, I closed the book after reading that chapter and I looked at Melissa and I said, this is some deep water. This is going to be fun. This was a few weeks before I started it with y'all, but I'm like, this is some deep water. We're going to be here a while. Uh, but anyway, ellipsis is to omit a word or words in a sentence. Uh, a common example uh, is to say, if, if Brother Rick was to tell me something that he was going to do, and I'd say, sounds logical. That's an ellipsis. Because to be grammatically correct, I would say, that sounds logical but I leave the subject off and just say, sounds logical. He understands what I mean, and we move on from there. Uh, other ways that we use this in our speech very commonly, uh, ellipsis is also the punctuation mark of three dots. A lot of times if a sentence is not complete or if you leave something out of the middle of a quote, you'll put three dots, and that uh, signifies that something's been omitted. It's no longer there. Um, some Bible, a Bible example that we have of this. It says in Matthew 14, verse number 19, this is when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. 
Now for this sentence to be grammatically correct, it would read, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave the loaves to the multitude. But gave the loaves is omitted in relation to the disciples. Making the sentence read that Jesus gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And Brother Rick, there's a whole sermon right here. I'm telling you, there's a lot right here. But we're not going to preach it tonight. Whenever you look at this, though, by Jesus leaving that out, by leaving that out in that second phrase, Jesus gave the loaves to the disciples and disciples to the multitude. It puts the emphasis on the fact that Jesus was the provider of the meal that day. If they would have repeated it again, then it would have taken the emphasis off of Jesus as the provider. And I'm going to speak of this later. I was going to speak of this later, but I'm going to mention it now. A lot of new translations endeavor to make the Bible grammatically correct. And when they do that, and I'm going to use the word that's maybe a little strong, they ignorantly lose figures of speech that God in his wisdom purposefully put in the word of God because there's meaning behind it. And they're like, oh, no, no, that should say, uh, that should say this. And they want to correct the grammar, and when they do it, they lose the meaning. You'll see this again in just a couple of minutes. The next two figures of speech uh, we want to look at together. I believe I've gone both on the same slide together. Polysendenton and Ascendenton. Polysendenton and Ascendenton. Now, I'm going to just be brief on these, but boy, I'm telling you, I got so excited when I was studying this. I'm going to share the scripture with you, but man, this is good right here. And and goes along with what I was just saying about uh, changing the grammar of the word of God. A polysendenton is repetitive use of the word and. In other words, if I were to say I wore a coat and a hat and gloves and boots and, and I just put and between every one of them. That is polysendeton when you overuse the word and. Ascendeton is when you don't use the word and at all. Uh, in other words, I would say I wore a coat, hat, gloves, boots, shoes, and I just go on without using the word and. Both of these are figures of speech. Both of them are grammatically incorrect. To be grammatically correct, you would use commas except for the, next, the last one where you would use the word and. But you can break that grammar rule in these figures of speech and these figures of speech are for emphasis. You use these for emphasis. Now here's the Bible example. In Luke chapter number 14, Luke chapter number 14, you may want to turn over there to this one. If I'll give you just a minute. I'll take a drink of water. Y'all turn over to Luke 14. In Luke 14, in verse number 13, let me go ahead and turn there because I only have a portion of the, of the verse in my notes here. Let me turn over here as well so we can read it all. Luke 14, verse number 13. Jesus is here talking about the wedding supper. He says in verse number, let's start verse number 12. Then said he unto him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy neighbors, thy rich neighbors, uh, 
lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. You see here in verse number 13 that he did not use the word and at all. But if you drop down to verse number 21, it says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. We see here two instances. One, we do not use the word and at all. And in the second, we do use the word and. What is the, what is the point here? What is it that we're seeing? Well, in verse number 13, the focus is on the feast. The focus is on the feast. But when they'll make a feast, call these people. And we just list the people one right after another with no emphasis on any one particular person. When you make a feast, uh, he says here, but when thou, when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. No emphasis on any one of them. But whenever we come to verse number 21, we see that he puts the word and between each one. He said, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. The emphasis in verse number 21 is on who is being called. And by putting the word and between each one, it tells us that each group is equally important. Go call the poor and go call the halt and go call the main. Each group is equally important. Each group demands the same degree of attention. Modern translations will correct this every time and they'll make both passages read grammatically correct and you know what do they do? They completely lose this. This is why I'm so thankful that the King James Version is a word-for-word -word translation. Now, in new translations, there's two different types of translations. There are word-for-word -word translations, and then there are the ones that are more popular are the translations where we just try to get the idea of the passage. So we don't translate word for word, but we kind of get the idea of the passage and make it easier to understand. And as I've often said, whenever you make something easier to understand, you lose the message. You lose what it's saying. And whenever people take these passages of Scripture and they don't translate them word for word, instead they just try to make them grammatically correct and make them easier to understand, they lose what God put into his word. The Bible says that every word was given by inspiration of God. Every word is important. Every single word is important because every single word means something. And so whenever a man says, I'm smart enough to know that this is incorrect, and he changes it, what he does is proves his ignorance in that he does not understand what God was doing and driving home the importance of each group of people. Bless you. <clears throat> so, we see those two, the polysendeton and the ascendeton. Now, the last figure of speech that we'll consider, and see here me trying to make sure I got done on time, I'm going to get done early. How about that? The last figure of speech we want to consider is euphemism. Euphemism. Euphemism is to exchange a harsh word for a pleasant word. Change a harsh word for a pleasant word. Boy, I'm telling you, our, uh, our uh, 
current society really wears this one out. <laughs> but uh, this is whenever we try to make something sound better than it is. Uh, a great example would be to call the driver of the trash truck a sanitation engineer. You know what? That's a, this guy, he's really somebody. You know, he's, he's, he's a good guy. But another one that we do very commonly, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to do this. This is just using this figure of speech as when someone dies, we say that they passed on or they've, they've gone to be with the Lord or something of that nature. Many times, society uses euphemisms to detract from the horribleness of sin. We, we try to soften sin. We take uh, such as a, as a drunk and we call him an alcoholic or, or we take sodomy and we call them gay and we could go on and on and on and we try to soften sin. That's euphemism as well. But euphemism can be used in both positive and negative ways and we do see euphemism in the Bible. A couple of examples that we can look at, 2 Samuel 18 verse number 32. Uh, and the king, this is David, said unto Cushai, uh, this is when David was in war against his son Absalom. Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom, and uh, there had been a conflict, and David said to Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And of course, Absalom was dead. He had hung himself in a tree, and uh, he had been smote through the heart, and, and he, was, he was gone. And David said, Is Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Now we see a couple of things here. One, when you're talking to the king about his son, choose your words wisely. You could just take this as good advice right here. When you're talking to the king about his son, choose your words wisely. And that's what Cushai did. He chose his words wisely. But in choosing his words wisely, he did two things. He used euphemism and did two things. One, he reminded David, king... We're at war against your son. Your son has rebelled and we're at war. Your son is your enemy, king. Just reminding you of that. And then he said, as softly as he could, your son is dead. But by using euphemism, he was able to soften the blow. And so we see this here in this passage of Scripture. Another place that we see euphemism is in the book of Ruth. We see here that uh, Ruth, according to the custom of that day, had went and laid at the feet of Boaz. That was the custom of that day. That's how she uh, was to go and let Boaz know that she was interested in marriage. And so she laid at his feet. And Boaz, of course, woke up and, and was wanting to know uh, who was there. What was she doing? And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about that phrase, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. But when we understand that this is a euphemism, now it makes all the sense of the world. She did not mean for Boaz to spread his garment over top of her in any way. No, she was just finding a delicate way to ask Boaz to marry her. That's what she was doing. Instead of saying, Boaz, will you marry me? She's like, um, I'm Ruth. Would you spread your skirt over me? A delicate way of asking Boaz to marry her. So we see here all through the Word of God are many, many, many different figures of speech. Things that if you're not careful, you can completely misunderstand. And so whenever you read the Word of God, learn to interpret it 
according to common language. One, one certain way that you can find figures of speech is that figures of speech are easily recognized. That it's easy to see that it is a figure of speech and whenever we consider that this is a figure of speech, it doesn't take away from the literal interpretation of the Bible in any way, but it helps us to understand what's written in its context. And there's many, many more that we could look at, uh, but I didn't want to wear this subject out and I have other areas where I've been wanting to go for weeks now and I've got to hurry up and get there and now I've got to wait a couple more weeks to get there. But uh, anyway, wrapped up this study on figures of speech. Hopefully it was educational, helps you to understand the Bible a little bit better and um, hope that these studies are making you want to get into the book. Just get in, dig in, spend time in God's Word. Did anyone have another request that they may have thought of during the lesson? Anyone at all have a request they may have thought of? Yeah. 23rd of September for his spine to help with his pain. 23rd of September. Thank you. Ms. Lila and I were talking today that we needed to get a date for that surgery. We couldn't remember what the date was. So thank you for that. Yep. Brother send their funds to Myanmar for the, I guess it's the third quarter for the pastor support and we're about $1,000 short right now. We've got about three weeks for it to come in, but just pray the Lord provides that. Hey Mike, let's be praying the Lord provides that. Anyone else? Just have it. Heather's grandmother. Uh, I don't know if they if they gave you a call to the the Bilbars uh Susan's aunt passed away. That's right. They did message me. I failed to mention it. Thank you for reminding us of that. So pray for the good bars, that's why they're not here tonight. Her aunt passed away and they're traveling to that service. Anyone else? All right. If no one else, uh, Brother Terry, would you lead us in prayer? And Brother Danny, you close us.